everyone. It's Friday the 14th of August and welcome to episode 18 of the Kite Podcast 2020 with me, Will Evans. And me, Ben Eagle. Now, it probably hasn't escaped your attention that back in June, the government launched a consultation into dairy contract regulation. This consultation follows a review by the Grocery Code Adjudicator, which was all about supply chain fairness. That suggested that there was an uneven distribution of power within the dairy supply chain with a milk contract being probably the most important document that a dairy farmer has in their office, we thought it was pretty important to tackle this subject head-on in Kite Podcast Land. But what is the consultation actually about? What might contract changes mean at a farm level? And why should you get involved yourself by sending your own response to DEFRA? To answer these questions, we are joined today by dairy farmers Michael Oakes and Robert Craig. Michael is chair of the NFU's Dairy Board, and Robert is vice chair and farmer director at First Milk. Welcome to you both. Morning. Morning. As always, we also have everyone's favourite dairy market analyst on the show. A big Friday morning welcome to Chris Walkland. Chris, let's go over to you. First of all, what's been happening in the markets and where are you this morning? Well, I'm bringing you my report today from a donkey sanctuary. <laughs> Ask me why. Why, Chris? Why, Chris? Because this podcast is about contract legislation. And as we all know, British law is an ass. <laughs> and I'm in charge of one of them. But there could be a whole lot more laws coming to the industry if the NFU has his wish. But fortunately, we've got Michael here to explain why legislation won't be an old donkey but a nimble stallion galloping to the rescue of beleaguered dairy farmers. (laughs) Hold on to the reins, listen to what he says, and we can mule it all over. Thanks, Dick. I can't believe this. I just can't believe this. We've also got Daniel Craig on the show. Presumably, fellas, what sort of contract James Bond would put on these pesky processes? Chris, it's not Daniel Craig, it's Robert Craig. You told me it was Daniel. No, 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 no. I definitely said Robert. Well, you've ruined my script. <laughs> all, my gag, all my gags are meaningless now. <laughs> oh. Anyway, none of them are going to work, so I'll move on swiftly along to the market. Is anything major happening in the market? No. Can I make it sound as if I've been busy doing important things while nothing's happening? Yes. But there is, there is some good news. Despite me predicting the official Dutch, German and French butter prices would drop this week, they haven't. They're the same as they were. So that's good news. Although the market price, the real market price is slightly below those prices. And whole milk powder is holding on and not buckling. uh, So that's pretty good too. However, SMP has dropped. It's dropped down to 2000 euros and below 1900 sterling. So the combination of that and butter isn't going to be paying much more than 24, 25p on a good day, I'm afraid. In the UK, I don't think there's much change on the uh, on the butter and cream scene. Although cream had dipped, it's back up a little bit this week because of the nice hot weather and people buying ice cream and other luxury goodies. Spot milk, I think, is still around 30p, although there's plenty of milk around, probably because there's all that grass now and it may have dipped half a p or a penny or so. Uh, The cheese market is also dead. It always is at this time of year and there's barely any trading. So boring, ordinary stability is the order of the day. On the futures, we've got some green for positivity after four weeks of decline. Uh, Last week, 
EU butter was below 3,400 euros for the next six months. It's now over through to January. An EU SMP is also back up over 2,000. And it's the same in New Zealand. Whole milk powder is green again. Uh, skim milk powder is back up slightly, but butter the same as it was. So that's about all I've got uh, for you this week. The GDT is next Tuesday. Uh, it's not looking brilliant for another rise. So uh, I'm not going to bet the sanctuary on, uh, on that happening next week. Anyway, that's it for me. I've got to go now and look after my ass. Over to Michael and James. Goodbye. <laughs> Thank you, Chris. <laughs> Michael, Robert, thanks so much for coming on the show. Um, it's great to have you on here. Uh, can you just briefly introduce yourselves? Because you've both got farmer hats on, um, but uh, Michael, you've also got an NFU hat, um, and Robert, you've got a first milk hat. Um, Michael, do you want to start? Yeah, I'm a tenant dairy farmer uh, just south of Birmingham, milking just under 200 cows, um, and uh, mostly Holsteins, and we are Spangala. And basically, I've been dairy board chair for the last four years. So uh, this has been quite a long journey to get to this point. And, uh, and Chris has always been a good uh, sounding board in everything the NFU's been trying to do for the last four years. And, and uh, it's good to know he's consistent. And Robert? Yeah, morning, guys. Uh, so, yeah, uh, primarily still a dairy farmer. We've we operate three dairy businesses in the north of the UK, so based in Cumbria, but we also farm over the border in Northumberland as well. We've got a joint venture, which is a little bit different for the dairy industry. We've got a home farm, um, and as I say, the new venture over uh, in Northumberland, we're milking all together about 1,500 cows, all of them supplying uh, first milk. So three years, a director, farmer director at First Milk, uh, appointed the vice chair at last week's virtual AGM. I don't know whether that means I'm virtually the <laughs> vice chairman or not, but anyway, <laughs> we got it ratified. So uh, for the first time, we uh, we had to do it on a similar situation to this. Um, also a council member and one of the vice chairs at the IRBDF. And I chair the Farmer Forum at Dairy UK, which is like the producer group that basically advises uh, Dairy UK board on on sort of producer facing issues so quite a few hats on uh, but primarily a dairy farmer so we're going to try something new and exciting on the podcast now Michael and Robert we're going to give you one minute to outline what you think are the most important considerations to anyone replying to this consultation we'll then go into more detail but please uh, if you could just give us a brief intro into the main points for you uh, robert you can go first 60 seconds on the clock starting now thank you will yeah well i'm, I'm certainly of the, of the view that the dairy industry the uk dairy industry can certainly do better it's certainly not perfect and uh, producers should really be engaging in this uh, in this process um and, and for, for, for not just the obvious reason that we hope it's going to improve um, UK dairy contracts, because actually poorly written legislation would do the exact opposite. So we've got to be aware of that as well. Producers need to be really aware of where they're at at the moment, be that the direct supply contract or a co-op contract. They need to uh, understand what's fair in the contract, understand what's working well, and then look at, at what you would change in the current contract that you've got, really. And and be realistic before you actually start to respond to this. Be realistic about what you're asking for. There's no silver bullet to sorting out dairy contracts. Um, consider how the markets work and consider um, how uh, legislation may affect uh, the dairy markets, both in over and under supply. What may work in under supply won't necessarily work in over supply. 
hopefully for me this is a, a, an exercise in, in pulling the industry closer together, working closer, uh, building relationships, stronger future relationships. And I think running through this is, is for me, it's representation. Consider how well you're represented at the moment. And, and I think that's the key, really, to unlocking uh, you know, long-term sustainable dairy contracts. It's about uh, farmers being represented at the market level. Okay, minute and a half. We'll, we'll let you off those 30 seconds. <laughs> Michael, uh, if you'd like to go next, 60 seconds on the clock. Uh, starting now. Yeah, thanks, Will. No, I'd, I'd agree with a lot of uh, what, what Robert's just said. You know, th- this isn't about creating a big hammer to beat the process over the head with. This is about resetting the clock and creating new relationships and a better way forward, which is m- more sustainable for the whole dairy industry. You know, we've seen processes making large losses and we've seen a lot of farmers under pressure. Um, and, and actually that's gone on for years. You know, this is a real opportunity no matter who you're supplying. If you're extremely happy with your contract and your milk buyer, um, actually still fill the questionnaire in. We need to get the whole picture. We need to make sure DEFRA get the whole picture so that actually we can work together as an industry to put us all in a much, much better place. Brilliant. That sets the scene. Um, we're going to try something else that's new now um, on the podcast, and this is a first for us here. We're doing some audience participation. <laughs> this has been a bit of an experiment. Becky has been hard at work behind the scenes, sorting through hundreds, if not thousands of responses, who knows, to her tweet earlier in the week, which asked all of you and Team Derek to send us your questions about contract reform and the consultation. Um, Will, have you got a tweet for us? Yes, um, let's go with this first one. Uh, will this legislation improve things for those at the bottom end without limiting those at the top end? Robert, what do you think to that? Gosh, well, it, it all depends on the detail. You look, it's really difficult to, to say at this point. I mean, the, the intention certainly would be to improve the bottom end uh, and, and leave, I suppose, leave what's working, working, whether that means leave the top end working, whether the top end is any more fair uh, and transparent and the bottom end I very much doubt but um, you know until you saw the detail in legislation it's very very difficult but if certainly if I was to be writing legislation I'd be focusing on the bottom end rather than uh, expecting it was going to you know to solve all the problems. Mm. And, and Michael with your nephew hat on what do you think about that? Yeah I mean this this isn't about uh, fixing milk prices and this isn't about milk prices at all ultimately this this is about fairness and transparency you know, the market will always set the price, but, it, you know, we're all in a similar market within the UK and look at the differential and the differential of the way farmers are treated by different processes. Um, and it's about actually levelling that playing field to make sure we're all, you know, treated fairly. Mm. Um, it's certainly not about rigging prices, but it's about making sure that we get a fair price for whatever market we supply through whichever processor, ultimately, and, and, and actually we eliminate a lot of that bad behaviour which we've seen over the years, and we've seen quite a lot during COVID as well. Quite an important question now. The consultation talks about a price calculation mechanism being included in the contract, uh, as opposed to discretionary pricing. What do you anticipate the pricing mechanism methodology would look like in practice, Michael? Yeah, I mean, and that would vary between every single business. I, I think, I think in the past, Chris has tried to hint that we create we create one formula and the whole industry follows it, and everybody knows what what what, what moves their milk price. Well, businesses uh, supply different businesses with different products. So, you know, in the case of uh, different businesses, as long as it's agreed and, and the farmers can see what what the triggers are that moves their price up and down, 
you know, we don't see that anybody else needs to know that. First Milk has a mechanism between itself and its members that they understand which delivers a price. The same would be with Arla, the, the two co-ops. You know, that, that, that has got strong governance and that works. Ultimately, you know, others haven't got a clue what makes their price up and actually they, they just get, they have to believe what they're told. But we need clear um, pricing you know, mechanisms, really. Uh, and, not, and some of them may not already exist. I mean, there are some really good examples out there now. Selkley Vale, they've got a pricing mechanism between themselves and Cadbury's. You know, there, there are other examples as well that we know. Now, I don't know the details of those, but, but they're agreed by both parties. And I think it needs that agreement and that transparency about what it is that moves their price either up or down so that farmers can actually see and predict going forward because they know what the indicators will be that where, where their milk price is going to be. I mean, Barber's Cheese is another one. You know, very, very well-informed farmers working with Michael Masters, and, it's, and, it, and it works. Hmm. And Robert, with your first milk point of view, would you, would you agree with that? Yeah, to a degree. I think it's very difficult to have anything that's transparent enough that would tick the transparency box, that, that wouldn't step over the line so far as commercial sensitivity goes. I think that, that's possibly the challenge quite a few of the independent processors would have. Um, you know, as a co-op, we've got the you know the governance process and, and farmers involved in that process of, of uh, as Michael explained, you know, the, the way in which we set milk prices, the formula, the mechanism, whatever you want to call it. But that's a, a board process uh, which is which is influenced by by owner directors. So, you know, we feel we're ticking those boxes uh, in that way. But yeah, whether or not you can get to the same position. Uh, as a direct supplier, uh, as comfortable and as transparent, I very much doubt because you've got the commercial, um, the commercial side of it, which would be a challenge. And Robert, this this one is mostly mostly for you, I suppose. Um, should co-ops, First Milk, and others be exempt from the legislation? I suppose, yeah. I suppose I feel that that that, that where we're compliant, we should we should be exempt, or it should be written in such a way that it doesn't affect co-ops. Um, so maybe exempt is wrong because obviously we want the whole industry to be working to one, one single set of rules, if you like. But where we're compliant, um, that should be, you know, that should be respected in the regulation. Really, I'd hate to see regulation imposed on co-ops that are working reasonably well. We could always all do better, but you know, co-ops that are working reasonably well shouldn't have their hands tied and uh, prevented from operating in the way that they do. So one size fits all, or, or not, Michael? Yeah, no, I, I don't think there should be exemption for co-ops. Um, if you talk to our colleagues in Northern Ireland who supply co-ops, they're not quite as uh, relaxed about the businesses they supply in the way that they operate as, as, as maybe, you know, Robert's members are. Um, so I think it's, it's about, you know, I don't think any business, any co-op should be afraid of anything that's about fairness. And this, uh, this whole thing is about fairness. Um, and actually, you know, the co-op model fits into that or the PO model or whatever fits into that extremely well. So, and we have listened to all the major co-ops in the UK to make sure that we don't uh, uh, create unintended consequences and actually, you know, break something that's not broken. I mean, we've got a, we've got a liquid sector in the UK, you know, which is a big part of the, of, of the dairy business, where the two main processes, you know, one lost 40 million last year, one lost 70 million. You know, the market isn't working for them either. You know, actually, the, 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 the whole... Uh, mechanism that's in place at this minute isn't delivering a, a sustainable industry so it's, an, it's a real opportunity to sort of reset the clock and work together within the industry to create new partnerships whether they're co-ops or whatever but I just think you know it, you know we've seen for years the industry going from boom and bust 
Um, and we've seen, you know, farmers' businesses being made unviable from times. And we've all known farmers that have had to rob Peter to play Paul um, and, and sell assets and various other things just to stay in dairy. And in the long term, that's not sustainable. And it's not, it's not right in the modern business world that we're going to be in. I mean, just following on from that, how, how do you think the contract legislation will actually help those processes? Um, at the minute, all their customers are, f- are fully aware there's a thing called buyer's discretion in virtually every single milk contract. So actually, they can squeeze that processor, you know, you know, or, or you know, they can squeeze and squeeze and squeeze that processor or threaten to take the business somewhere else, knowing that that processor has the ability, no matter where the market is, to actually reduce the milk price to the, the farm gate milk price in order to maintain the margin. And I accept their margins are very, very slim. And for some, they don't exist at all. But ultimately, you know, I mean, an example, um, was, uh, you know, the, the Muller uh, direct farmers, you know, the, the, their substantial price drop and, and where they are from where the market should be at the moment, you know, isn't market related. You know, that business has gone out in one business. It's ended up with a processing business that is processing milk for little or nothing, hence the £70 million loss. And guess who's paying for it? Those farmers. Now, if Muller didn't have that, you know, when they go out to negotiate, uh, sell their product, uh, you know, they're, they're going to have to go out uh, and do it, you know, knowing that they can't pass any any sort of uh, discount back down to the farmer and actually start to push the risk back up the supply chain. Right at this minute, there's no, there's no incentive whatsoever for any processor to pass any kind of price risk back up the supply chain, either by using, uh, you know, futures markets or whatever tools are out there or actually sharing the risk with the, with the customer. Um, and one final question before we end, and it is perhaps the most important one. Uh, are the proposed reforms likely to return a higher milk price to the average farmer, Robert? Uh, probably not. I don't think I don't think there's a silver bullet for this. I don't I, I don't think you know we can solve that. We've got a really serious problem within every food chain, every you know, every primary food producer practically in the world isn't particularly well rewarded for what they're doing and you know i don't think we can solve it in this way it, it might help some of our producers it might give them a bit more long-term security uh, I, I think i think it's very difficult to have all the benefits of that a co-op member would enjoy by imposing legislation on uh, on the rest of the industry so uh, there's a simple answer to the to the question that if, if you want um, long-term sustainable uh, future in dairy farming you join a co-op michael would you agree um, I, I, you know, I think I think it's a difficult one, and I think we're on a journey. Legislation and farmer representation, whether that's through co-ops, and I think there's a role for POs going forward. You know, I mean, a PO um, or, or various POs under an umbrella organisation uh, could actually start to change the dynamics of the industry. But I mean, ultimately, without the you know fair contracts, you know, whatever other structures you create, uh, it makes it very really very difficult. But I do think this is a real opportunity for both processors and farmers to, to sort of reset the clock and actually, you know, get the, the value out of dairy that, that, that actually we know does exist but has been um, traded away over the years ultimately. And I think, you know, there's a we've got to grasp this. Um, you know, the other alternative, we just go, well, we can't do anything. We'll just put up where we put up with it and we'll see a dairy industry getting smaller and smaller potentially um, and, 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 you know, we've got a government that probably is going to be focused on cheap food going forward uh, they don't might not care where that comes from so we need to and there's going to be less support out there so we need to make sure this their industry that we do all love and enjoy uh, works as well well as possible 
Okay. Well, sadly, that's all we have time for today, but we do hope you found today's podcast episode useful and please do get involved in the consultation. Many thanks to Robert Craig, Michael Oates and Chris Walkland for coming on the show today. Yeah, thanks also to you for listening. We'll be back next week with more Dairy Chat and Market News, but for now, it's goodbye from Will, me and all of us here and we'll see you next Friday. I'm off to get my Aston Martin out of the garage now. <laughs> <laughs>